Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. You're listening to episode 28 featuring Richard Sarvate. Uh, Richard is a really cool dude. He was a former engineer at Yahoo, and he's all the way in from the Bay. He just moved from San Francisco, and uh, Richard's super cool. He runs his own show called The Setup. It's a super popular, if not the most popular show in San Francisco. It's a really great time. Uh, highly recommend you check it out. In this uh, podcast, we talk about a lot of cool things, including cryptocurrency, uh, a near-death experience, uh, taking breaks from comedy, meditation, uh, being an engineer, and becoming a comedian, a similar thing we've been talking about lately, uh, making money while doing comedy, investing, producing successful shows, and starting your own comedy club. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of stuff, but it's a really interesting episode, and I hope you guys enjoy. Thanks. Also gonna be awkward. Cool. Perfect. <laughs> two engineers. Yeah, sense. we're two engineers trying to be like trying to be trying not to be like awkward. <laughs> yeah. Who are we kidding? Um, okay, I'm gonna start over. Yeah, hey guys, welcome back to episode 28 of Working Comic Podcast. I'm with uh, Richard Cervate, a former Yahoo software engineer turned stand-up comic. Uh, Richard Cervate has both the hard skills and the soft. He runs the popular <laughs> show in San Francisco, The Setup, and he recently brought it down to L.A., and he's killing the comedy game. So, hey, man, thanks for coming and doing this podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, beautiful apartment, by the way. Oh, thank you. How is your day going so far? Uh, my day is good. I... Uh, installed a media console in my apartment as well as a couch oh nice but I, okay. I installed the couch i just put the couch in there yeah. uh, what kind of media console um oh, it's just for my tv just to put like uh actually uh, there's a couple things in there now there's a playstation 4 which is mandatory but then there's also a sky miner in there uh which is mining sky coins sky and coins sky coins yeah it's a new what type is of that which crypto that's a cryptocurrency it is cryptocurrency it is a um it's gonna be it's distributed bandwidth so uh you set up yeah people across the world are setting up nodes uh in their apartments and server farms wherever and uh, uh what you do is well it creates a, a a mesh network and then the internet will be duplicated across and and then the more bandwidth that you provide to people People pay for bandwidth with Skycoins. So if the, for the bandwidth that you're providing, you get Skycoins for each. Uh, so you're sharing your internet connection. You're, exactly. You're selling the internet connection that you're not using. Yes. Okay. You got it. Wow. <laughs> uh, is that profitable? Uh, not yet because it's still getting started up. But um, this is, um, uh, they're just, they're encouraging people to get these nodes set up. And then uh, eventually once there's enough nodes online, uh, it'll, people will start using it. Uh, were you, how long were you in cryptocurrency? When did you get into it? Were you an early adopter? Uh, well, I, I guess I was pretty early. When did, um, Silk Road fold? Oh, I don't know. Like 2014 or 15 or something. Yeah. 20, I think so. And then I was in there about two years before that. What? Uh, but I did not, uh, I did not make a lot of money. You didn't amass millions in crypto? I, I could have, here's the thing. So I did buy Bitcoin when it was at like, uh, $3. And oh I, my God. but I spent it all on drugs. Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I bought. I spent it all on uh, <clears throat> psilocybin mushrooms, and 
pretty much that. How does it feel to know that you spent <laughs> probably a hundred thousand dollars on mushrooms? Right, the trips were not worth it. How much were they in the mushrooms uh, in, in U.S. dollars? Let me think. So, I think I probably spent uh, I probably spent about five hundred dollars on uh, mushrooms. Five hundred dollars. So yeah. and Bitcoin was three dollars. Bitcoin was three dollars. So what is that? That's yeah. like ten. So like a hundred and like sixty Bitcoin. Yeah, one hundred seventy right. Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and then Bitcoin, I think right now is about uh six thousand dollars. Yep. So yeah, I want to see how much money you spent on mushrooms. You spent a million and twenty thousand dollars on mushrooms. Holy shit! Wow. God damn it. Yeah, and, and you know what happened? Like, so I I, I bought all those mushrooms, and then I had like point oh three of a bitcoin left, and then that had gone up to like you know a thousand dollars or something. Oh my god! And I was like, okay, I was like, fuck, dude, if I had just like not. Even the Whoa. even the, the fraction change was worth a lot, you know. That's insane. Yeah, that hurts me. I I hurt every day. <laughs> Believe me. That's crazy. So did you get involved last year when a lot of people were getting involved again for like big grand dreams of grandeur? I I just started kind of making sure I had some uh, currency just in case there was another giant boom. So. I bought some uh, Bitcoin, some Ethereum, some Litecoin. Last year? Yeah. When? Uh, I, I mean, I bought it like, I think like last September. Okay. That's that's when I first got into it, last September. Okay, yeah. So I'm really late to the game. And it was really sad. I mean, I made a lot of money and then I lost it like everyone else. I'm back. Oh. To, I'm about back to the start, which is okay. Because yeah. September, you were maybe back to the start if you did September. Yeah, and you know what was funny is I, I remember like I was even sitting at cafes and people, everybody was talking about Bitcoin. Everyone, it everyone, was insane. And I was like, "This means that it's not gonna last." Dude, yeah, I was in Ubers and they're like, "When the Uber driver does it, that's what they say. Once the Uber driver's doing it, <laughs> then you're not gonna make money yeah, anymore. It, Anything. If you have a financial idea and the Uber driver's like, "Hey, I was thinking about doing that. Just quit it. Find a new one." I feel like. Quit it, dude. Like the new thing everyone is talking about is uh, reselling shoes. And oh like, yeah, people are doing that. People are doing that. They're like, oh, this kid's making a hundred thousand dollars a month reselling shoes. Th that's how you know it's over. Yeah, <laughs> he already made the hundred thousand dollars a month. You yeah. can't get that in there. Yeah, he he was probably in this game three years ago. Yeah, when it was cool. You have to find the next cool thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Um. So. Yeah, I'm trying. I've I bought Video Coin. What's Video Coin? Uh, which is uh, created by um, what's this guy's name? Something Halsey, the guy who made the CEO of Salesforce and Medium. Uh, or no, sorry, the founder of Salesforce and Medium uh, created this cryptocurrency, which is um, it's like uh, online video streaming. Uh, as a coin so whatever unused like uh processing power on a computer uh it's basically used for helping stream video like high quality like 4k 8k and vr cool. and the guy's pretty like reputable so it seems like a good thing but i'm also skeptical that um all the interest waned 
But that also might be the best time to get in once all the mainstream interest is gone and it totally is collapsed, like right yeah. now, kind of. You, yeah. You, if something is like, if everyone, if everyone's talking about it, then it's not. <laughs> and if everyone's talking about getting out, it's probably when you get in. That's when you get in, dude. Like if you, uh, when when Fannie Mae was having all that uh, bad press against them and they just crashed, uh, that's when I bought a bunch of Fannie Mae. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Did they come back? Did are they still gone? Uh, they One came, of them came back, right? Uh, like they came back just a little bit, but it was to, it, it was just because like they got smashed so hard that the government gave them money. Was I think it's just like it just the the market just overcorrected. Like it was like oh, it just went to like almost zero, and then if you bought it, it went up just like a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking about that because I even sorry fans that we took a turn into cryptocurrency and financial assets. Don't I, we apologize, didn't lose everyone. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about like even for stocks like Facebook, um, right after, uh, always after the bad news, it comes back up. Oh, yeah. Always. So it's almost like buy on the bad news. Yes. And I feel like you'll probably make money every time. Uh, totally, because people, uh, people freak out. They're like, oh, bad news. Facebook is done. Everyone's so catastrophic. Yeah. So as long as you just maintain some ambivalence, then you're going to, you know, you'll do better. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool, because the, the intrinsic value doesn't change. It's just people are emotional, so they're going to sell. Right. The stock market is just a, uh, it's a prediction of future earnings. Yeah. Right. So it's, and but whose prediction? It's the people who own the stock. I feel the like the stock market is the most irrational thing ever. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like, what is value? It's just what these idiots buy and sell on a whim yeah. based on their emotions. Like, this right. doesn't have real monetary like how could it, what what means a company's worth a trillion dollars? It's just what someone's willing to pay for an idea of owning a fraction of something. I don't know. It's like a weird. Well, exactly. Thing. And the whole uh, like if you were to say what is a company's actual value, you would say okay, what are the earnings of this company, and then how much money is that going to make over the year, and then you can you know, and that's a concrete way to understand what the value like, is. Like what is the actual value Revenue. it's like yeah you i guess you can pr- get their total cash flow and like project the cash flow over the next few years and then bring it back down to today's dollar or something like that right like you add them all up and then bring them back exactly but if you do that you see that these companies are worth still they, they do it what is it? the price to earnings ratio yeah these companies are worth like a hundred times their earnings yeah and so what is that extra hundred times yeah That's, what does that mean it's all speculation yeah, that's weird. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But um, let's talk about you. Your life is really cool. Thanks, um, man. You were a software engineer at Yahoo. Yes. Um, how long were you that? Uh, I was a software engineer at Yahoo for three years, and then uh, previous to that, I was at a startup called Zobni that and for two years, and Yahoo acquired us. Oh, really? So I was with that team for a total of five years. Oh wow! So when yeah. did you did you do that right after college? The engineering stuff uh not really uh right after college right after college i went into just a a really dumb job i was doing professional services where i was installing legal software (laughs) for companies literally i would just fly on site to companies and install the software and then just watch it and make sure it didn't crash okay you're like a field engineer yeah okay but like for Oh, so the company I worked for was this awful company called Autonomy. And what happened was uh, Hewlett Packard bought them for $10 billion. 
and then after the acquisition, it came out that autonomy had only been worth 1.5 billion. So they had basically scammed Hewlett Packard out of you know 8.5 billion dollars. Wow. So uh, wait, they sold it for 10? 10 billion, yeah. Wow. So the CEO of HP uh, Apotheker got fired. Uh, a bunch of executives from Autonomy went to jail, and uh, well, the CEO of HP got fired, and yeah. they went to whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, this was a really dumb company. Like, that's insane. It was so corrupt. This is how corrupt it was. Uh, the 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 HR lady who did payroll, she was giving herself a bonus of two hundred fifty thousand dollars every single quarter, and no one found out until much later. What? <laughs> yeah. Did she go to jail? She went to jail, yeah. So they're all in prison. Uh, well, m- most of the execs are not in prison. It's just some of the uh, like low-level uh, payroll people. Oh, okay. Yeah, the execs if, got away. Okay, but weren't the execs probably responsible for these things or not really? Oh, yeah, but you know how it is. Yeah, they had their grunts <laughs> yeah. in prison. Mike Lynch, criminal. He's the CEO of Autonomy. Oh, wow. Yeah, but he's free. Oh, he's a free man. Yeah. Wow, wow, that's insane. So, um, cool. So you were doing that. How old are you now? I don't. I'm 34. Okay, you're 34. Yeah, a young man. Um, so you were field engineering for. I'm trying to. What's your timeline? Tell. Walk me through after college to now. Yeah, ended college in uh, 2005. Then I worked for Autonomy for like four years. Uh, So then it was like 2009. Uh. Where does all this time go? I think. Then, then I worked for years. Zobney for two years, maybe three years. That brings me to 2012. Oh, yeah. Then I worked for Yahoo for three years. And then I quit Yahoo in July of 2016. Now I've been doing comedy full time for two years. Wow. It, the exact dates are hard to remember, but yeah, that's of kind of what happened. That's very cool. Um, so how did you get into the coding stuff? Were you always just kind of... Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, uh, my dad taught me how to code when I was a kid. So I was like uh, eight years old. He taught me uh, QBasic. Uh, so I started writing some, uh, like, these choose-your-own-adventure kind of games. Yeah. Text-based games. Like, hey, you're entering a cave and you see a dragon. Do you run or do you fight? Oh, yes that's or... cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, so you always were into that. And then... You went, where'd you go to school? I went to UC San Diego for oh, computer nice. science. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Nice. And then you just transitioned to comedy. That seems like a huge change of pace. Yeah, it was a big change. Uh, I had always wanted to do comedy. I mean, do you want backstory on this? Like, Yeah, why? tell me. Go for it. I want to learn about you. <laughs> sure. The whole thing was like... Um, when I was a kid, my dad would just sit me in front of comedy movies all the time. And it was... Uh, he would sit me in front of. Do you know Laurel and Hardy? Oh uh, no, they're a comedy duo from the twenties, like Depression era yeah. American comedy. My dad used to watch these videos in India in the f- like fifties, because India was like thirty years behind in entertainment. Yeah, and then when he came to the U.S., he would sit me down in front of these videos. So then I was this kid in the like late eighties, watching American comedy from the twenties. Uh, but these like so that's were, your influence. That's my influence. It's like <laughs> I'm sure you've seen them. It's like the fat guy and the skinny guy, and they both have bowler hats. Probably have. That sounds like a familiar concept. <laughs> yeah, 
but like I, that was like my first introduction to comedy, and I was like, that was stuff was so funny. I just knew I had to do comedy, uh, and I remember I tried to do an open mic at UCSD actually. Oh really? Yeah, at Porter's Pub, and I I remember writing my whole set and wasn't I went there and I wasn't able to get up. I was too afraid. Uh, but the actual impetus for starting stand up came because uh, I had a uh, I almost drowned in Puerto Rico what? in uh, 2011, and uh, it was. It's kind of cheesy, but I needed a life or death experience to kind of get me to do comedy. Really? What was this experience? What happened? Uh, me and my friend went scuba diving in in Puerto Rico, and uh, we we just got swept away by the current. We went, uh, and yeah, we shouldn't have really been scuba diving in that area. The current was too strong. It kind of picked us up, and it started just kind of... Uh, just taking a hold of us and throwing us against this like really jagged island. Uh, and uh, it was such that like, it just kept on throwing us against these rocks over and over. And it was, it was painful. These are sharp rocks. And so I was like, as we had to climb up these really sharp rocks to get ourselves out and the water would keep on coming and taking us and like grabbing us and pulling us back in. So it was very much like, it was like this really intense physical exertion and I managed to, to get up. Wow. Yeah. It was, uh, and then I was, you know, it's a bit cheesy, but it's like, I kind of had to, I was like, okay, well. Yeah, I could have died. I could have died. Let's tell some jokes. <laughs> wow. So then how soon after did you do your first mic? Oh my God. It was I like a week later. Really? Yeah. I got back to the U.S. and I was like, okay, like, let's do it. That's, and then you haven't stopped since then, huh? Yeah, I didn't stop. Um. I mean, I've taken like a, a couple months break, but that, but that was the biggest one. I had one four month break in my first year of comedy. Really? That's, Why is that? It's because uh, have you ever been to this club, Tommy T's in Pleasanton? No. <laughs> I bombed really it's hard. It's so bad. So if you go to Tommy T's, you may end up taking a multiple month hiatus. <laughs> that is so bad. Yeah. It it was, it was one of those things like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not cut out for this really <laughs> wow that's what this one place did to you yeah because you do i mean it was bombing. an exceptionally bad bomb you, you know what it's like, like beaten up after <laughs> <laughs> like the, the, the jokes were so bad dude. the owner just like drags me outside <laughs> <He kicks your laughs> ass. don't you ever do that again <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. now it was just you know like when you bomb sometimes you're just like it, i've always had like a very fragile sense of self well back then and uh so uh, just a bomb can shake you no totally 100 especially when you're starting out it's really traumatic yeah because it's your first time when you're probably being vulnerable and then mm -hmm. also having an entire group of people like judging you and then they're judging you thumbs down yeah <laughs> it's hard well especially i mean as a stand-up comedian you are you're already susceptible to uh, you know, being a little fragile. Yeah. And then you're putting yourself in the most dangerous situation. Exactly. You're like the nature of a comic is like a pretty, I mean, typically pretty anxious or vulnerable person. They're not, I don't know if they're necessarily vulnerable, but they're anxious and putting themselves out there. Probably not super self-confident. Yeah. You're going out there and getting judged hard. It's hard. It's definitely rough. Mm -hmm. It's ironic. Yeah, it is. It's like if you put a, you know, a really confident person most damn comedians are not super confident. Yeah, I know. It's like you put the most like 
incapable person of yeah. taking criticism and self-introspection and emotional security in front of the most painful type of situation for that person. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. These, what were you saying? I was just saying, these things happen a lot in life. Like, uh, there's there's the way, like, and one, one thing is, like, in dating and stuff like that, uh, the people who, this is going to be a really, like, kind of vulnerable statement, but the people who need love the most have the most difficulty getting it. Yeah. Because they convey that they need yeah, love the desperation. The most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And people are scared of people who are desperate. Yeah, it's um a turn off. Yeah. Like, so it's like from oh, a very biological level of being not alpha and not uh not I don't know, what what is it? Like if you if you're vulnerable like if you're going out of your way like that and looking for love and like you need it. Yeah. It's like conveying a sense of like, you don't have yourself together. Yeah. That you're not a, um, susceptible per specimen for your like mating or reproduction. Yeah. 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 It is interesting though. It's sad. That's how it works. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's why you have to, uh, find yourself first. Find yourself first, then you will know, find, find love. Your... Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like most people, like, you should be probably in a pretty, like, emotionally secure place if you're trying to um, have, like, a relationship, I feel like. And yeah. most people aren't. Most people aren't, like, super secure in themselves and, like, emotionally stable, and then they get a relationship as a crutch to kind of fill this void that they really just need to probably fill themselves and then they become emotionally dependent and then the other a lot of times two people will become emotionally dependent yep. on each other and then it seems to be extremely toxic yeah. these people don't know how to like function without each other they don't have like a base of like um self-sufficiency yeah exactly um i i've been reading the power of now by eckhart tolle yeah and uh, he talks a lot about this stuff yeah it's and, a good book yeah such a good book oh my god like the whole uh, the chapter on relationships he talks about uh, how to how to love without attachment or uh, love love in such a way that the person feels free yeah it's interesting um, yeah. what do what specifically does he talk about in that chapter I don't remember that chapter I remember the, my whole takeaway of the book is like he just like was on a bench for two years and then he <laughs> meditated That's and a, my whole takeaway is just meditate but yeah. what do you say specifically about that? I don't really remember. Well, the whole idea is that uh, when you are in re this codependency on somebody or the dependency on somebody comes from your ego. Uh, your your ego is, you know, your sense of identity, mm -hmm. which says like, oh, I need this person to validate myself. Mm, yeah. So, Needing something else to validate your own existence. Exactly. Yeah. So and then. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Everyone out there. And then so when you the, the and he just talks about how the ego is the source of all your problems because uh so what happens is this person becomes your validation. So when that person leaves, then now your sense of identity has been shattered. Yeah, cuz your sense of identity, your ego is so strongly tied to someone else, something yeah. outside of your own control. Which is really dangerous. Super dangerous. Yeah. A lot of people do that. I mean, especially here in LA. Mm -hmm. um, 
And with the age of social media, I mean, people strongly uh, identify with things that are material and outside of their personal control. I mean, oh, whether yeah. it be like their material possessions, their followers, yep. their their money or their social status or like any of those things, like the rug could be swept out underneath you at any second. And right. you have to be like uh, resilient enough to still have a sense of self that's empowered. Yeah, it's hard. Super hard. I mean, I think I'm I'm glad I don't I'm not like a model or something, you know, and I'm a tight tied to like how many likes do I get on my picture or something like that because that would just be awful. It's really hard. I mean, a lot. that's something a lot of models struggle with. Um, mm-hmm. Just talking to them is, uh, I mean, this is typically, unfortunately, a lot of like female models strongly are like they place their, their beauty as that thing that is their validation and their identity. Yep. And this idea of getting older is really, um, it's so upsetting because they're they're uh the people in power will literally give them less jobs mm-hmm. and um it's like yeah. their success is almost based on their like uh physical beauty Absolutely. which makes it so hard yeah and i mean anytime you're attaching your well yeah your your well-being to something that's fleeting i mean you're doing yourself a disservice like i mean that's why i'm just so thankful that I'm doing stand up because that gets better with time. Yeah. You know? You're like, like a sense of humor. You can't take it away. You can't take it away. Like in every year that goes by, I'm getting even better. So it's like, what's going to, what's going to happen? I mean, I, I'm just so thankful that I mean, I, even that could be taken away. Like you can, um, lose your ability to speak. <laughs> that's like true. You can have some sort of physical impairment that, which is the worst. It's like, it's like in game of Thrones when, Jamie Lannister gets his sword mm-hmm, hand mm-hmm. cut off. That is true. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I just wonder. Well, and then at some level, you're saying you can't identify with anything. Then I know it's like, what do you identify with? That's so true. Because it's like, your body fundamentally is like not yeah. permanent. Like what parts? Do yeah, I, yeah, I see what you mean. Well, I, I no, I totally get it. But I mean, okay, the whole idea is to just identify with your awareness. Yeah, really, that's all you. Uh, is really that's the only thing that someone can't take away from you. Yeah. Um, but just in terms of like, if you're gonna stick to something in this material world, it might as well be something that grows with time. Yeah, in most and that's cases. a part of you. Yeah. Like fundamentally. Yeah. yeah. Fine. I'll give you stand up. I was just thinking about that. Well, probably two. No, I'm glad Critically. now. Now I'm not gonna identify with my stand-up. <laughs> just gonna <laughs> identify with just your mind, I guess. That the what? Just your mind. That's the only thing. I think uh, Eckhart would say is you should identify with yourself because your uh, your mind is where the ego comes from. Mm. So the whole thing is like, so your brain is just an organ in your body, the same way that your pancreas or lungs are an organ in your body. Yeah. So you, it's just tough because your mind is very. Uh, because your mind creates your sense of self, but the whole idea is with meditation is to step outside of your thoughts and try to identify, try to see what's uh, above the thoughts. Yeah, that's really insightful. How often <laughs> do you meditate? Uh, n- these days, I do it all the time. I mean, 
like actually just sitting down and doing nothing. Like I'll do that like 15 minutes every morning. Yeah. But meditation, you know, you can practice that all the time. Just like throughout your day, you kind of are mindful. Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like I'm doing it right now. Like I'm not thinking about anything except for, uh, I'm not, I'm not really thinking, but I'm just talking. That's good. <laughs> I, I started meditating uh, sophomore year of college. I actually talked about this in my last interview with Jesse, but um, yeah, really it helped me tremendously to try to be present at least. I notice at least when I don't meditate, I'm really like, my focus is terrible. Like I'm like looking all over the place, thinking yeah. of the next thing to say, not listening to people and it's not the best. Well, yeah, actually what's so interesting is that when uh, when you start watching your thoughts, because uh, I feel like that's meditation. So you can be thinking, but as long as you're watching the thinking, uh, that's what's so cool because you start noticing all these patterns like, I started noticing that like, oh, I'll have a thought and then that thought will, it'll keep on uh, connecting to other thoughts until it gets to something that makes me feel bad. That's so true. That's yeah. really interesting. I probably do something similar. Yeah. But you, you we can figure it out right now. Like, oh, that mug. Oh, that mug is uh, white. Oh, that white color is kind of like the walls of that one girl's place. Oh, yeah. We used to have a nice time. Oh, she's not there anymore. Fuck, I'm depressed. Yeah. That's <laughs> so interesting. You notice these thought patterns when you meditate and then you can like nip them in the bud or choose to like listen to them or not. But you at least you're noticing them. A lot of people just are like, these are my thoughts. This is me. This is what's happening. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. Watching thoughts is amazing. Have you uh, do you have you ever read this book, The Inner Game of Tennis? I heard of that book. Actually, yeah. I didn't read it, though. It's it's really good. I mean, it's, I definitely heard of it. It applies to everything besides tennis. But the whole idea is like what he's talking about when you're playing tennis and you're doing your you're trying to get good your backstroke. You don't actually try to do a good backstroke. All you do is watch your hand hit the ball, watch the ball hit the racket, watch the ball, see where it lands. You observe it and then you do it again until you get the right yeah. um, swing. And the whole idea is that just by watching it, your mind has self-corrected. That's really cool. Yeah. So if you guys have uh, anxious thoughts out there, or <laughs> any patterns of thoughts that you want to change, practice meditation. See, I need to get sponsors so I can get paid to say things like that. Is there a, I don't know if meditation apps and companies have enough money to sponsor. I Headspace mean, probably does. Think Headspace, you think the, the CEO of Headspace is just balling out right Dude, now? I think he is. Um, <laughs> Headspace is a great app. If you want to get into meditation, by the way, uh, anyone and or you, you probably know it. But it's you, super helpful. You I know, what? One, uh, one time I was doing a Headspace meditation and I'm pretty sure like I, he, we did the whole meditation. At the end, he goes, and now in your own time, open your eyes. Yeah, he always says that. And uh, he did not tell me to close my eyes. So my eyes had been open the whole time. Wow. And when he said, open your eyes, I got so pissed. <laughs> I was like, bro. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. like Some of them, I, I mean, I wouldn't go as far to buy all of them because some of them are pretty similar. Like they'll be like cooking meditation, sports meditation. And one, and like, and the only difference will be is like, imagine you have a bowl. Like, like the only <laughs> difference is like, he'll say one thing related to the activity and then everything else will be the same. Like the exact <laughs> meditation. Like there's no difference. <laughs> In the cooking meditation, he mentions a fork. Yeah, he's just at like three thirty-three. <laughs> like yeah, like what? He's just like yeah. You're you're mixing a pot. So imagine when you're mixing your cereal. I don't know. And then he'll just like go right into the regular 
thing that he talks about. It's like the same. He copies and pastes it. But uh, it's good. He sounds like the Geico Gecko also. Oh, yeah. He totally does. That'd be great if two years from now they just unveiled it. It's the same guy. It probably is. <laughs> it probably is, honestly. Um, so you got – let's go back to your stand-up life. You got into that 2011 and mm-hmm. then – Two years ago, you started doing it full time. So mm-hmm. that's crazy. I mean, you must have been making some uh, bank working mm-hmm. at Yahoo. I did make some bank working at Yahoo. Yes, I did. So how do you um, go from that to doing comedy, and yeah. and like figure out a way to like make money and like what's your thoughts about making money and doing comedy and yeah. stuff like that? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it's uh, it's really hard to take a step down in lifestyle. It's almost impossible. Uh, and so, you know. So you didn't. And now uh, you're in her playing debt. Right. Here's the thing. It's basically, now I spend all the money I make. Like, I don't, like, I have, uh, I have savings uh, from working in tech, but now I don't save any money. You know, like, I, anything I make, I just spend it all. Really? Yeah. And so that, in that way, I'm basically living the same lifestyle that I was uh, when I was an engineer. Interesting, because you would just spend the same, but also you would save. Yeah, when I was at Yahoo, I was, I was spending a ton of money and saving a bunch of money, and now I'm just spending all my money. <laughs> so did you get to a high level as an engineer within Yahoo? Uh, I like a senior dev? N- no, I was never senior dev, uh, and I didn't want to. I really didn't. I don't like responsibility, and I, uh, I didn't like my job enough to want to get to that level. Um, but uh, through the acquisition... Uh, they just paid us bank. Wow. Yeah. And salary. Can are you allowed to say your salary or is that uncomfortable? Uh, I think it would be just weird for people to yeah okay that's to fine. hear it. But <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, you know the high the high salaries. Yes. Um, that's cool. Um, wow. So where do you like? Okay, so you you had kind of like a nest egg that you saved up in tech, mm-hmm. and did you go? How did you like invest your money? Like, how did you handle your money? Oh yeah, yeah. Do you I, have any like thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I I love investing. Um, the whole thing though is that like if you're, I've never really seen anyone make a ton of money just being like, oh yeah, I'm like like picking a stock like oh. <sighs> All my money is in this uh, Vanguard twenty fifty life cycle fund. And it does great, you know, like it's it's basically a, a, a life cycle fund is a mutual fund that just becomes more conservative as time goes on as you near retirement. And uh, so you, life cycle 2050 means I'll retire in 2050. So the money is uh, will be ready for me then, you know. Oh, so you put everything in a, a retirement. I put yeah, I mean, it's not even uh, like it's not held there forever. It's just that's the investments. The investments are such that uh, such that to prepare my money for retirement in 2050, but I can withdraw at any time and spend it. Oh, so it, is Vanguard not like an IRA or 401k? I mean, Vanguard is just a... Or is it just an index fund thing? Yeah, I mean, Vanguard is just like a broker, um, but uh, and within Vanguard, they have a ton of different funds. So is it like a mutual fund that you invested in? Yeah, it's a mutual fund. So you didn't like explicitly do like the 401k with matching kind of thing? Uh, when I was at Yahoo, I did. You did? Yeah. And okay. now so that that's I'm, separate though. Yeah, I have everything. I have a 401k. I have a Roth IRA. I have a traditional IRA. Uh, really? Regular money market fund. Interesting. So 
what was your thoughts about like so you do you plan on like not using any of that money till retirement uh till no, the re- I, legal retirement age where you can withdraw it without penalties no like no 57 or something no I, I'll, I'll spend it uh it's just like i'll i'll spend it when i need it like uh like anytime i need uh yeah, if, if I'm going to invest in a business or something like that, I'll I'll take money out of that and put it in. Um, so, no, it's it's just all I'm saying is that the, the money is invested in such a way that if I didn't touch it, it would be yeah. safe. Yeah. But I, I take money out whenever I want. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, what I'm trying to figure out for myself is I've been reading a ton of like a four hour work week, mm-hmm. uh, which is like Tim Ferriss book, yeah. which I recommend if you want to learn how to uh, free yourself from the nine to five lifestyle. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> what else? I listened to like the rich dad, poor dad audiobook. I'm super <laughs> like obsessed with the idea of creating some sort of passive like stream of uh, income Yeah, where the stand up comedy lifestyle becomes more, attainable and more enjoyable yeah. because what I've been just observing is that a lot of comics kind of uh, don't pay attention to their finances and mm-hmm. are just like couch surfing a lot of the times and pay, living paycheck to paycheck and a lot of struggling and which leads to like anxiety disorders and depression. Yep. And that's not the part of comedy that I like. I like the part of making people laugh. And I yeah. also like hanging out with my friends and being able to go out and doing and getting like like sushi and stuff. Yeah. And, like, and I want to be able to do that. So if I could make money while doing that, I mean, I think that's the best way. And right now, like I'd love to I'm just trying to figure out different ways where I can get a cash flow so I can just do comedy full time. Right. Yeah, I mean, it- I think the way to think about it is that stand-up comedy is not a traditional career path. You know, like if if you're a computer scientist, then you're going to have a performance review every year. And then based on that, you'll get a raise and you'll work your way up the ladder. And stand-up comedy is you're just going to make it whatever it is. So it's like it's not defined at all. It's not defined at all. Like here. OK, here. It's not, it's not even unionized like. There's literally not even a minimum wage for comedy. Right. You can perform and you're working. You're literally working and you're getting, you're not getting paid. It could be our, like, think about like people are driving to mics. They're driving to shows. This is like wear on their car. This is like gas. Mm -hmm. This is like, like two hours driving their time, two hours waiting, 10 minutes performing, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's so much time and money spent. And then you're literally not even getting paid. Right. Or you might get paid a little bit, but not really. Even if you get paid 20 bucks, like getting paid 20 bucks for five hours, that mm-hmm. was all a five hour process. Totally. And then to write the jokes too, you're, that's also many hours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you just have to find a, a way to support yourself while you're doing comedy. And they, so, so the ways to make money doing stand up are only a few things, right? There's, uh, you can perform at colleges and that per- pays like pretty good, like a thousand dollars a gig. You can do corporate shows, which could be sky's the limit. Uh, you can perform at comedy clubs, but that doesn't pay very much. If you're hosting, you'll get 50 bucks. If you're featuring, you get 100 bucks. Not even in L.A., though. Like, outside of L.A. Yeah, outside of L.A. They don't even pay that much, I don't think, in L.A. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't really know what the clubs pay. I heard, like, Comedy Store pays, like, 20 bucks. 
oh yeah and at the improv like 15 bucks yeah you know um so and the the other thing you can do is produce your own shows right but so at that point you're not really doing stand-up that you're a producer uh i guess you can put yourself in your own show you can put yourself in your own show right so so if you look at those things and you're like okay uh if I'm, if I'm doing corporate shows, doing colleges, doing clubs, and I'm producing my own shows, is that enough money for me? Or do I want to make more money? And if you want to make more money, then you have to start thinking about other things like, okay. And you, it, it's, it's basically just like you just think about how you can make money and try to do it. So it's like, uh, you know, at, at the setup now, I'm going to try to do licensing of content. So, you know, that's another route. What is like, what do you mean by that? You know, like recording, uh, recording just sets at the, just recording uh, people's uh, sets and then trying to and post it, kind of like what Laugh Factory does. Like that, that could be one route, or it's like maybe try to um, give it to radio stations like Sirius, or like maybe anything. Like what, what about recording a special at the club and then selling it to Netflix? Um, you know, it's just basically like sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. Yeah, just what can you think of? It's insane that as a um, performer and a comedian, something as individual as a comedian, where you're selling a product, which is your comedy, and you are literally out for yourself making money, you're also fundamentally an entrepreneur, whether you identify with business or not. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you have to, like, not okay, if you have an agent or a manager, then maybe you can delegate more to them mm-hmm. but it, i feel like a lot of it it seems like you have to really hustle for yourself yeah. and figure out ways to make money like you're saying like oh yeah how are you gonna do that yeah you're out for that? yourself it's just like you could do you could do any it's being a stand-up comedian is the same thing as being a, a juggler like you know you could do the same thing like oh i'm gonna film myself juggling for an hour and i'm gonna sell that to netflix you know uh it's it's anything like <laughs> there are people that uh, uh, on Twitch or whatever that they just eat food and they have subscribers and people watch them eat and then really? they get yeah that's a thing <laughs> I heard people are into that yeah so I like it when it gets that abstract because you're like oh you can literally just make money doing anything you just have to think about it yeah like how can you make money doing it and yeah. it's interesting because a lot of the times you have to do things that might be outside of your typical comfort zone, which is crazy because comedians are already performing on stage, which is outside the comfort zone scope of most people. Mm -hmm. But taking that extra leap and like cold emailing people and just like, uh, like people that you want to reach out to, to work with. Like if you want to start a show, that's like literally going to venues and finding out who the stakeholders are, like the people in charge Mm -hmm. and seeing like what it takes to produce a show there and how can you make it mutually beneficial for both of you to work together? Yeah. Yeah, like I think stuff like that you have to hustle. Yeah, I I do like that idea of the mutual benefit because a lot of people don't really understand that. They're like, I'm funny. Why why am I not on TV? Like it's 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 like the reason you're not on TV is because nobody cares if you're funny. Like everybody's funny. You know what I mean? It's like, what do you? Uh, how are you helping people? Yeah, you know it's so true. Um, I I started thinking more about that win win thing because I read that book. The seven habits mm-hmm. of uh, highly effective people, and that mm-hmm. like one whole thing is like the win-win, uh, which is when you're trying to like make a come to a resolution or an agreement with someone. You have to think what's a win for both of you for mm-hmm. both from both perspectives instead of like, sure, um, 
if someone puts you on their giant show or puts you on TV, that's totally a win for you. Yeah. But this network or whatever, or this producer, they want to, their goal is to sell tickets or their goal is to sell like, or get subscribers like on Netflix or whatever. Yeah. So can you contribute to that? Will you, are you helping them? What's the win win? If you like, mm-hmm. you have to, someone, you can't just get things handed to you. You have to think like, how can this help someone? That's why like, yeah. I'm just from <clears throat> talking to friends that do like uh, TV pitches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I read this book about like, um, like getting investors for movies and stuff. Um, when you, when you do a pitch, you have to, not only do you have your idea, you have to have like an analysis, a market analysis. And I mean, you can mm-hmm. maybe delegate to someone else who's more uh, intelligent about this stuff. Uh, but you have to identify what demographics are people are going to be interested in this. Like how much money could this potentially make? Because if someone's going to invest in you as a producer, or like to make a project, they want a return on their investment. They want money back. Yeah. So it's like, you have to think about those things too. A lot of people don't do that. I feel like. Yeah. And I, I, once you start thinking about those things, everything changes. Like, Oh, uh, there's a, uh, what is that diagram? Uh, there's like a, th- there's like this Japanese concept. Uh, uh, and it's, it's when four things merge, you become your true self. It's like, uh, what is your path? What, yeah, what do you love to do? What are you good at? What makes money? And there's one more thing. Ah, and when all four of those things mix, uh, it becomes, you become your true self. Interesting. <sighs> Sorry, that was kind of a dead end. I wish I had known what that's the- okay. <laughs> known more about that. That yeah man I mean I'm I'm just so fascinated by that, um, so for let's think for someone who's maybe like a stand up comic, um, what are some things that they could do right now to just kind of like, you know, start making money doing comedy even if though they're not necessarily a huge, uh, comedian yet like, mm. or maybe just like producing shows. That's a yeah, good start. I feel like, because well, I feel like once you produce a show, right? At least, um, if you if you create it a popular show, then you have something to offer other people. Yeah, which is a bargaining chip. Totally. Uh, yeah, running your own show is uh, is key. Like, I mean, uh, that's worth so much more than even being a, a comedian, right? Because stage time is more valuable than comedy right now. So <laughs> if you're creating stage time, you have so much more. And, and then, and I would say like when you're producing your show, you have to charge because a lot of people produce free shows and it's kind of like, th- there's so many negatives to that. You're you literally know? only losing money by making a free show. You're, yeah. You're only losing money. And conveying an absence of value. You're exactly like, is somebody going to drive uh, 15 miles and take a date if your show is free? Like, the girl you're taking is going to be like, what the fuck is this? You know, she wants, if you're going to go, if you're going to take your wife or girlfriend out or something, they want to go to like see a show, you know, they're going to pay $30 and go see a, you know, a professional comedian. But so it's like, you got to make, you got to charge money for your show. Cause so that way it looks like someone should come out for it. Mm -hmm. A free show is like, that's like, okay. People around the block can go there if there's nothing else to do. 
That's how I feel. I mean, I, I, I'm part of this show, Boy Band, that I've been running for mm-hmm. a couple of years, and then I stopped when I moved to Seattle, now I'm back. Mm-hmm. But I'm really wrestling with the idea of I don't want it to be a free show anymore just because it really conveys an absence of value. And yeah. we also don't make money, so we can't promote it as good. Right. Yeah, I, I would. I, yeah, I would start charging for it, and I would just... The whole idea is that if somebody finds it online and it's has a ten dollar ticket price, they are more likely to come. Like, think about what you do when you're going out. Like, <laughs> if if you were trying to organize a night out for you and your friends, and would you be like, "Hey guys, free comedy show," uh, you know, over here? <laughs> like, no, you'd be like, you you want your friends to know that this is like legit. You'd be like, hey guys, it's a ten dollar ticket price. It looks good. Like, let's go. So here's the thing for. I mean, maybe not as just a specific advice from my case, but um, my show is right next to UCLA mm-hmm. in uh, Westwood. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, college I've done your students. show. Oh, yeah, you have. Yeah. <laughs> Was I there when you did it? You weren't there now. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, that's probably why. I don't yeah. remember. But um, do, do you find that, do you think that there could be an issue with making it paid with college students as being the main demographic? I don't think so. I mean, these kids at UCLA are rich, man. Like, <laughs> there are probably a lot of rich kids that can afford like a five or ten dollar ticket. Yeah. How would you, using your experience uh, promoting shows and like, how would you attract a college audience? Like, mm. I, so for me, I've been thinking about like, I just think having a plain stand up show is kind of boring. Um, but because like, the show that did really well for me, and we're going to do this again in October 11th, mm-hmm. is the show I did in Seattle, the Tech Roast Show. Okay, yeah. And that like totally killed. Like We literally roasted a bunch of tech people, mm-hmm. and we totally sold, we sold out because we yeah. just like have this niche audience of people in tech. Totally. And um, that did really well. So I was thinking like some people on the team want it to just be a straight stand-up show, but I'm thinking like there should be some way to like incorporate – like like make it more college or like appealing to college yeah. people. So I'm trying to wrestle with that. Like, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Well, well the whole issue is that uh, stand-up comedy in LA is saturated. So if you are producing a just stand-up show, uh, like it, it's just, it's going to get lost in all the noise. Uh, and I think that sucks because the show, I, I just like straight stand-up shows. Uh, personally, I don't That's like the setup, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, Right, and the whole thing with the setup in San Francisco is that uh, it's uh, the vibe is amazing. It's it's a really cool basement. Have you been? I haven't been there. Okay, yeah, it's it's just the vibe is perfect, um, and so that's why people come. But like, so if you're gonna do a stand up show in L.A., you have to find a place where the vibe is perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't even know that the improv space vibe is perfect. Right, I mean it's a it's a theater. It's small theater. Small theater. There's noise in the background. You get there's open window. Right. Not open windows, but it's like a big window where you can see outside. There's ambulances right. in the background. Exactly. So if the aesthetics aren't perfect, then there's going to be an issue. Like there, there's a there's a show they do at the Blind Barber on Mondays, and the aesthetics there are really good. Like that's a it's a speakeasy. You go into a barber shop, you go downstairs, and then like it's a cool bar, and they usually have a really big audience there because it's like the atmosphere is great. So so do you think if in LA you find that perfect venue could yeah. you still do a straight stand-up show yeah if the if the vibe is perfect then 
totally. I mean, there's lots of shows in LA that have great vibes. Like, I mean, there's uh, Venice Underground uh, at the at the Venice Townhouse. Uh, you know, the Virgil has a great vibe. Uh, and they're all running shows out of those places. Yeah, and they already have yeah long running established shows there. Yeah, like you know UCB uh, Franklin like th- oh, yeah, that vibe great. is perfect. Um, but yeah, like if you're in terms of if you don't have that, then yeah, stand up is too saturated to just have to just say come up for a stand up show. So you got to have some sort of hook, dude. And like, you know, like, I mean, your t- your tech roast hook is is great. I mean, people will come out. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what's going to, you just have to think about this person who's sitting at the computer being like, what do I want to do tonight? And then they see like some event listing and they're like, Oh, what's going to get them to get out of their seat and walk to your show. Yeah. Like in LA, I'm just trying to understand, even if you do have the perfect venue, how could you distinguish your show and get people to come out? Even like everyone's doing Facebook ads, everyone's doing Instagram ads, everyone's doing all of those things. Like Seattle, there's way less competition just because there's the volume of shows is way less. But yeah. if you're even doing a targeted ad in LA, like I was seeing, like I made a Facebook ad for this show I'm doing next week mm-hmm. in LA and like the smallest mile radius you can do is 10 miles. That's everyone in LA. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like I can't, that's also every show in LA is going to hit that same amount of people. So it's not going to stand out. Well, yeah. I mean, if the vibe is perfect, like here's the thing, like the, the first time you blast an ad for something, like everybody sees it and the first show will usually do pretty well. Uh, like I used to produce a show at three clubs on uh, whatever vine and sunset or whatever vine to Santa Monica. And the, that venue, the back room is perfect. And we did a few shows there and they were like pretty close to sold out. And then the only reason we're not doing shows anymore is because the management is horrible and they would like cancel our show. Like, the day before the show, like really? I had, yeah, I would have ticket sales and they would just cancel the show the day before they'd be like, Oh, we got a, a private buyout. Sorry. So it's like, we never had chance to like build. What did you do about that? You, you literally sold tickets and you had to refund them all. Yeah. We had to refund a bunch of people and tell the comedians. Sorry. Like that's the biggest bummer ever. Yeah. It was such a bummer. And especially because if you ever go to that space, like it is perfect for comedy. Uh, and it's just, it's such a waste that they won't uh, cultivate comedy there. Interesting. But so, yeah, continue. Sorry. But yeah, so I mean, we had like we had like five or six sold out shows there and then it just, you know, uh, they sabotaged it. But uh so if if that's it, if the if the space is perfect, you you will get a show. It'll just it'll just spread, you know, the first show will be sold out and then people will want to come back. I feel like if the space is perfect, they'll want to come back. But what gets them in the door? Oh, they'll just come the first time cuz like it's the first time the ad has been blasted. Like LA everyone's all about like what's flashy, what's new. So if you just put a new ad out in LA weekly, like all the readers would be like, Oh, this new thing. And then people will come out. Really? Like, okay. So I, I've done this a couple of times, like, uh, at the Beatle house in Hollywood, I produced a show, a stand-up comedy show about death. And we had like 70 or 80 people come out for that. Uh, and that was just, it's like a new ad new branding everyone came out so you'll pay for ads and newspapers and stuff yeah interesting it'll so you'll wor- drop a lot of money at first yeah because that must cost a fortune I feel. yeah it'll cost a lot i mean it'll cost like 250 300 dollars and then with all the other ads like do you put a lot of money in instagram and facebook ads 
because that was called, like even for this show I just did it was like two hundred bucks mm-hmm. for like this uh, roast show just for Facebook ads. Yeah, two hundred is fair. Yeah, as long as you're charging, you'll make it back. I mean, even if you don't make it back for the first one, you'll make it back. Um, you know, three or four shows down the line. How many shows are you producing right now? Oh uh, man, at the at the setup we have shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So five shows a week at the setup. And Saturday that's like you have a system now, so you're like not even that involved, right? Or are you still? Oh, I'm involved? I'm in, I'm involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just not physically there. I'm oh. driving up to San Francisco tomorrow, but like I'm not there always. So you have another host. Uh yeah, we we just book hosts. Okay. That's my computer talking to me. I'm going to mute that. <laughs> so, um, wow, okay. So five shows a week uh, at, at the setup. Then uh, we're doing a monthly show at the Hollywood Improv. Uh, and then uh, I have a show every once in a while at Westside. So it's like... it's Your tech show? Yeah, yeah. So you're starting that recurringly? Yeah. Our next show is going to be November 30th. Um, so that's just another one-off. And then if that goes well, then we'll do a monthly. Oh, okay, so they gave you the okay for another show from the one you just did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so we're gonna try to uh, we're gonna really try to reach out to those tech companies in San in Silicon Beach and try to get them to come out. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, how many? Uh, let me think. Did you get a lot of people? How many people were at that last show? Did more people come throughout? It was, it was like, like twenty people. Yeah. Yeah. But they just know you produce a lot, because when they like, if it, if it was an unvetted person, wouldn't they be strict about it? Oh yeah, about yeah. Producing no, I, again at Westside. Oh he yeah, seems yeah. strict. Yeah, sorry. They are pretty strict. Yeah, yeah. I I just told him. Uh, I I just said, hey, look at all these shows I've produced, and then, uh, you know, I mean, it's been about seven hundred. I've I've done produced about seven hundred shows, so it's like, so they were like, okay, yeah, you know what you're doing. Um, so they let us have a spot, and then. You know, I mean, look, for 6 p.m. on a Friday, which is when our show was, I mean, that was a great turnout. It was great. Yeah. Because think about, I mean, the thing is there's traffic mm-hmm. and everyone's south of Santa Monica. Yeah. Are you going to make it at a later time? Uh, we can't make it at a later time because really? there's already shows uh, happening at that time slot. So the whole idea is to do a happy hour show mm. uh, Friday, 6 p.m. It's, it would be everyone who has a tech job could just come there after work, watch comedy, and then go do whatever they want. Yeah, I hope people do that. I mean, I I believe in you. It could work, yeah. I think it can. I like. I really like the concept. My own, my biggest concern is the traffic. Just thinking about that logistically, that stresses oh, yeah. me out. The the idea would be we wouldn't want people outside of Santa Monica coming to the show. So you're just blasting Santa Monica. Yeah, right? it's it's just for Santa Monica. Got it. And then you hit up like Hulu and like all those yeah tech companies. Exactly. That's really cool. So are is is producing your full source of income right now? Uh, let me think about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. And it's just, and like you're paying your bills, living in West Hollywood, mm-hmm. and like you have like a def- decent life. Yeah, yeah, I do have a decent life. You're not like a, um, you're not poor. I'm not poor now. So that that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That I mean that it is right a dream. There, it's like you are living the dream. You're able to do comedy full time. And like, like, sure, you're not like having a Netflix special yet, but you found a way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- th- that's the whole thing. I mean, wherever your income comes from, it should. Uh, you you just don't want to wor- worry. Yeah, it's it's 
you can't like I mean Bill Burr I think said it best he just was like don't quit your day job mm-hmm. you know he's like like I never I didn't quit my job until I was like sure I could do comedy without having to go back to my job yeah yeah so that's definitely not relatable for probably a lot of people outside of tech to have that kind of safety net <laughs> no for sure I, I, I love it. how would someone who has like a regular job do this like if you're just working at i mean it would probably be, probably be i mean develop these shows and create this side income to the point where it covers their expenses and then you can quit but you're not gonna have that nest egg saved up but hypothetically even if you didn't have your nest egg you're still living and not necessarily working outside of doing comedy things yeah i mean you want to just like you you can always have a supplementary income like i mean it's like you just kind of want to ramp down on non-comedy related things and then ramp up on comedy related things right so it's like okay maybe at your gigs you're selling shirts and then like you know that brings in a little bit of income maybe you send your tracks to Sirius and they license some of your tracks then you have a little bit more money coming in maybe you uh you start getting into colleges and then you you have a little more and then maybe people hire you for birthday parties like it's like uh you know I mean it's never going to be like like okay I've it's not like a black and white switch. Now yeah. I'm making money doing comedy. It's like, you know, I'm, you gradually start making more money doing comedy and then you can ideally work less time at your other job too. Or if yeah. you have that kind of flexibility or just like once you're making enough doing comedy on the side, then you can kind of switch over. Yeah. There's, there's so many things you can do. You can like, uh, you could punch up people's speeches for, for like and uh, presentations. Comedic and just yeah. charge. Yeah, totally. You can you can charge for anything. You, you can. Uh, somebody contacted me for uh, they wanted me to make some funny YouTube videos for their company. I was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. That's awesome. Yeah. So many opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um. So for your, um, I'm really interested in your setup show. I think that's such a cool show mm-hmm. that you're doing. Um. So we were talking about it briefly, but do you? Oh, you don't own the space. You're leasing it out. Uh, yeah, we lease the we lease the the bar. So is the bar the like? What's the? I haven't been to your venue. Can mm-hmm. you just how how is it? Is it the bar just the second, like another part of the venue? It's a. Or yeah, is that so the whole venue? It's a. You walk in. There's the bar, and then you walk down the stairs, and then there's the uh, this performance space. So okay. it's a bar and a performance space. The oh, got space it. So you're separate. leasing that whole space. You lease the whole space, yeah. And because it's a brewery, right? I'm so confused because I went to the website and said brewery. Yeah. And then, like, well, it's not a brewery, but we have beers from. Uh, they, the. What's it's, the it's, name of know, the venue? Now it's called the setup. The venue but is called the setup. It, the venue is called the setup. Yeah. But it used to be Ales Unlimited. Yeah, that's what yeah. I saw. That's why I was confused. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was Ales Unlimited with the show called The Setup. Yeah. But now the venue's called The Setup. Yep. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I understand. So you you lease that out fully and operate it for five, four days, three days, 
Thursday, uh, it's Friday, open, Saturday. Uh, it's open Tuesday through Saturday. Oh, it is. Yeah. So, but on, on Tuesday, it's just a bar. Uh-huh. And then Wednesday through Saturday, it's shows. Yeah, it just seems like a really cool way to make money, to like lease out a place and get a liquor license. And it obviously must be a lot of work, but it sounds like it could be a fun way to just have your own club or something. It's really cool. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really interested in making money in, um, in ways that you can see what's happening. Like, so when I was working at Yahoo, it was almost like, where is this money coming from? I know. They just have you so know? much money to throw at you, and it's so unclear to see where you're, they're making it from. And that's so true, right? Like, it goes up this corporate structure, but, like, how? Yeah. You can just see it with ticket sales and beer. Exactly. It's and so clear. Yeah, that, that's what I like. Because, I mean, it's like and, – and I'm fine with making money in an abstract way. Like, I mean, but you just, you just have to feel connected to it, like – and it's what whatever you need to do to feel connected. Like I know that when I sell a ticket for a show, like I understand what that transaction is. Yeah. You know, but at Yahoo, I you know I was working on stuff like I was uh, <laughs> when an email from certain organizations came in, I had to make sure that the logo of that organization showed up next to the email, and then somehow based on that, I was getting a salary. Like, I was like, I don't yeah. understand how this translates into money. It's so weird. Yeah, understanding the value in that. Yeah. But, damn, that's why the setup's so cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, how many hours would you say goes into producing that, uh, the setup, a week? Well, now it's, I mean, it's a, a, a lot of things are on autopilot, you know, because, like. That's the key. At this point, I barely do, we barely do any promotion because it's, like, it sells itself, word of mouth. Yeah, it sells itself. Yeah, and like uh, all, I've automated so many tasks. Like, even with booking comedians, I wrote a program to um, read my booking spreadsheet, and then take the names of the comedians, and then grab their picture from a database, and then show it on the website. So it's like even the schedules are just automatically updating. Really? Mm -hmm. So you have um, kind of your own database of all these comics. Yeah, I have um. I have a friend uh, in San Francisco uh, who just made a database of comedians and their pictures. And so my program just reads from that database and uploads it to my website. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so great. Mm -hmm. There's just like a little API call where you just get the picture. Yeah. That's nice. Mm -hmm, pretty much. Wow. That's the dream, man. The dream. So cool. And, and in L.A., are you making money producing shows? Mm, in L.A., no. It's hard, right? <laughs> don't produce in LA. LA is pay to play, man. Really? So you don't anticipate being able to like make money here? It in may, that way. It may be possible. Because um, you're kind of experimenting, it seems like, with your West Side show and the Death show. Right. So I actually have a, a, a new. Th I am starting a comedy club in LA. Uh, it's going to be in uh, Burbank, and it's called the Comedy Bunker. And You're starting a club? Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it, you'll uh, – we'll see what happens. We're, what? We're, we're renovating a space right now, and uh, it's in Burbank, so it's like, you know uh, – What's there? There's also um, – There's well, Flappers. Flappers, yeah. Yeah. But this is going to be like more of an indie kind of show, so it'll be uh, – the space – is going to be a tiny it's a, it's a tiny room that fits like 35 people 
Or else it's like improv space size. Yeah. But we can do whatever we want with it. Like, it's our space. Are you going to get a liquor license? Uh, we're going to make it BYOB. So it'll – and then, you know, drinks and stuff will just be donation-based. And, wow. So you <laughs> you bought a space? Um, it's the same thing again. So another guy has the lease. And then – How are you finding these people with leases? <laughs> I just hang out with people that have leases. I just hang out a lot. And people are like, uh, so I, I don't know. It, it, I'm just having so much fun these days because I just hang out with a bunch of people. And, um, so yeah, this is my buddy. Um, uh, I don't think he minds if I mention him, but his name is Aaron Maliner. He's a kind of pretty established comedian here in LA. And, uh, he, he's just been friends with this guy for a long time. And he just had this space in Burbank and the space is like, the, he, the guy, he was just renting it out as like a rental space for people to practice drums and stuff like that. Yeah. But then my buddy was like, hey, what if we just start doing comedy shows here? And then we just got into like fully renovating it. And uh, wow. so it's going to be cool. Like, yeah, I, there's like furniture leaving. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking furniture out of my apartment and putting it in this space. Oh, is that why you just got a couch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my futon is gone now. It's in the club. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so, when is it going to open up? Our first show is going to be October 6th. Are you getting like a big sign and everything? Uh, the sign? Let me think about that. Uh, no. We don't have a sign yet, but we'll, uh, like, we're, we'll, we'll do it in phases. We just want to make sure that the concept works, and then if it works, we're just going to go full out and, yeah, we'll neon sign that shit and everything. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. But um, for out. your other shows, have you been able to make any money in L.A.? In L.A., no. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the bummer is. I'm not. I'm, that's what it looks like. Right. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I mean, that's everyone says L.A. is paid to play because there's too many people here trying to get seen. The whole point of L.A. is is get seen. You know, and so it's like you got to get good at comedy somewhere else, and then and then be seen here. That's why you know I go to San Francisco all the time. And the whole idea with the, the comedy bunker is that that can be where I work out, you know, if that becomes my comedy club. And you don't have to put any money into it? No, we do. Yeah, I mean, I... You do. We're, gonna, we're paying to renovate it. Really? Yeah. How much does something like that cost mm. to renovate a 35-person theater? Uh, a few thousand dollars. Okay. And yeah. you have contractors coming and stuff? Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. oh, man, I want to see that. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, you'll, it'll be, uh, everyone will be made aware. Wow. <laughs> well, cool. Um, well, thanks for all of your wisdom. That was super insightful and really interesting. Yeah, stuff. dude, thank you for having me. Do you have anything really you want to, like, uh, plug or anything like that? Hmm. I mean, I have a, hmm. Uh, my next show at the Improv is October 10th at 10 p.m. If people want to come out, that's going to be a really good show. You're running set up there, right? Or is that separate? No, this is going to be a South Asian-themed show. Oh, okay. So, yeah, if, if you like brown people, uh, if you... Uh, and if you don't, you're racist if you don't go. Yeah, if you, if you, and if you just want to come and be racist, that's fine, too. Yeah, <laughs> something for everyone. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Thanks so much. Dude, thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, 
comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So tune in every week. And uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin Nasso on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A, Bros, one word. Uh, we have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys.